I've seen properties double in value because you basically reframe to the market what you can do with the property. So that's why I love these deals because mm-hmm. I don't have to remodel anything. I don't have to increase rents and because there are no rents. I have to do nothing. I just literally have to reposition in people's minds what you can do with this property. Mm-hmm. Welcome to XM State. Where's the greatest opportunity in real estate today? That's what I need to know. We'll hear from industry leaders with boots in the ground and skin in the game. Who's winning? How are they winning? Stick around and we'll find out right here on XN State. Hello and welcome back to XN State. This is your host, JCQ. Today we have real estate broker and investor Lance Langenhoven on the show. In 2010, Lance founded his brokerage company, The Commercial Professionals, which later evolved into The Professionals Group as the firm expanded its services into several different niches of brokerage. In addition to running his business, Lance is a successful real estate entrepreneur, having generated very good returns in the investments he has made in recent years that include a Bowdoin RV storage, land purchases, and residential flips through very interesting strategies that we discuss openly and in detail in today's show. I am continuously impressed by the attractive opportunities that Lance constantly is able to run into in a market that he has gotten to know like the back of his hand. There is a ton of value in today's episode. I hope you enjoy and learn from the strategies that Lance shares with us today. Without further ado, here is today's guest, Lance Langenhoven. Lance, welcome to XN State. Thank you for being with us today. How are you this morning? Very well, thank you, Jorge, and thanks so much for inviting me to be a part of this. Of course, you're a guest that I've wanted to have here since the very beginning. You're somebody who I've known for a few years in real estate and who have, I'm, I myself have learned a lot from, and I'm excited to have this opportunity to share this knowledge that you've acquired over the years with other people as well. So Lance, before we get into the deals, can you tell us a little bit about your background and who you are and your journey in real estate? Sure. Well, I'll do that. But let me just say one thing, Jorge, if you don't mind, is, sure. man, I have, I'm a big podcast listener and I listen to a lot of podcasts and I am just so impressed with your podcast and how you've done it. Everything is so professionally done, you know, and the guests have been so interesting. I've listened to every single one of them and uh, it's just been, you know, a really impressive start for somebody that hasn't done this before. And I love your little jingle at the front. The guys with boots <laughs> on the ground and skin in the game. <laughs> I really appreciate that. That honestly, it means a lot coming from you. Yeah. I appreciate you having listened to every single one of them and saying this today in our interview. No, that's it's absolutely fine. So for myself, I'm South African. And uh, when I listen to all the, your other guests, you know, a lot of them are so much younger than me. And I'm, I feel like I'm a little bit of the dinosaur on the guest list. So from South Africa, I moved to... England. Well, first I worked at a, a big financial services company as a computer programmer. And then I moved to England. I quit my job and moved to England. And I was a computer programmer there for about 10 years. And uh, my wife and I got married in England. And then in 2001, we moved to the US to Houston. And we've been here since 2001. So I continued working as a computer programmer till 2006 when I quit. I loved the programming, but I got tired of the politics at the company. So I actually got my real estate license uh, while I was still working. And eventually I actually had to quit because I was getting too many calls at work. So uh, I quit and uh, I started off with residential real estate. And then uh, a lot of my clients actually wanted me to help them buy commercial real estate. So then I you know, got very into the commercial side of the business, got my CCIM designation and my ALC designation, which is a accredited land consultant. And, you know, I watched and I helped many clients buy and sell commercial properties. And I saw like, you know, how much money you could make in it. And eventually in 2015, I decided to start investing myself. So uh, started off with a really small property it was $70,000 and I had $20,000 to put down and the guy owner financed the 50,000 for me. And that was my first little deal, uh, commercial unrestricted land. And at that time, my strategy was not fully defined yet. I mean, I was just kind of winging it. But, um, but you did have a lot of information that you had developed as a broker, right? Yes. 
Correct. Yeah. So I'd seen obviously what my clients were, were doing. I couldn't yet buy those kinds of properties because I didn't have the money. So I had to kind of make the money from the deals to be able to now be like a regular participant in the, in the market. Yeah, along the way, I purchased a boat and RV storage facility, and you know I've done many deals now. So I feel like I kind of know now exactly what I need to do to get a great deal. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I've always seen you as a one of the best real estate brokers in the woodlands, and now now I almost see you as a real estate entrepreneur <laughs> with uh, all, all that you have going on. Yes, there's a lot going on, and and of course the two of us are involved in a project mm-hmm. as well, which is really exciting. So, For sure, yeah, yeah, I'd love to talk about that. In a little bit, something that I've always been very impressed by how you do things, Lance, is how you always seem to have inside information regarding what's happening next in in a city, regarding street widenings or a new store opening. How do you yes. manage to stay on top of this information? Well, you know, you really just have to keep your eyes open and read the, you know, like the local newspapers, that Community Impact mm-hmm. magazine. They're always talking about the new roads that are coming in and. That is really a good guide on where future development is going to go. So, but you can look also on Tech Department of Transport website. They'll mention the roads, but local newspapers tend to cover it fairly well, because it takes so long for anybody to build a road that they talk about it three, mm-hmm. four years before that road is built. So that is really it's just kind of be willing to read the local information that comes out. That's kind of how I do it. And of course, speaking to other people all, mm-hmm. all the time and asking them, hey, what's going on? What's what's new? <laughs> and also the amount of time that you spend out there on the road. Yes. For example, I as a developer spend a lot of time in my office. And I think one of the things that I need to do more of is just getting on my car and driving around and looking at how things are changing outside. And I feel that, like you do a very good job at that. You're always moving around and you're seeing things. You're seeing signs yes. being put up. You're seeing future store openings and those right. kinds of things. It is. That is, I love getting in the car and just driving. And I and I actually drive usually quite slowly because I'm looking around all the time to see mm-hmm. what's going on here and what's going on there. So uh, I do like to just notice my environment instead of just driving blindly. So I'll, I'll have my podcast going. <laughs> I'll be looking around. And so, and people are always passing me at like 60 miles an hour and I'm doing you know, a little bit less in my little Prius, <laughs> but, but it's fine. I mean, I'm still going to get there on time, you know? So, uh, yeah, I enjoy just keeping track of what's going on in the marketplace. Yeah. It's, it's crucial, I yeah. think. And when we go straight into the deals, that's actually one of the ways that you found your, one of the most important deals for you, the Borden RV storage, you found yes. it in a similar way, right? Mm-hmm. Yes, what happened was I actually was looking for my next commercial piece of land to buy. So I was, you know, looking at the websites every day. And this was actually on a Sunday morning. And um, I'd seen this piece of land. It was about three acres out near Conroe. And I drove up to go and have a look at it on a Sunday morning, like 10 o'clock in the morning. And as I was driving to this piece of land, I saw this residential realtor sign on a property. And I looked behind the house and I saw what looked like boat and RV storage facility behind the house. So I thought, oh my goodness, that looks pretty interesting. Let me. So on my way back from looking at the piece of land, which turned out to be not worth even looking at, I stopped and called the agent on the sign and uh, I said to him, would he be willing to show it to me that afternoon? And he said, you know what? I'm showing somebody at four o'clock And I said, okay, well, listen, I'll tell you what, why don't you do this? When those people have left the property, I'll just wait outside the property and I'll just drive in right behind them so you don't have to leave and come back. And then I promise you, I won't take more than 10 minutes of your time. So he said, that's fine, let's do that. Now, that's not how I do my deals now. But at that time, like I told you, my, my strategy wasn't really honed like it is today. Because if I was doing that today, I wouldn't even waste time seeing the property. I would just put in my offer. Really? Yes. But but then, so then I saw it that afternoon. And, uh, you know, as I walked around, I could just see that there was so much room for improvement. I mean, they had a gate, but the gate was always open. You could just come and go. The property was messy. It was just untidy. There was no demarcated parking. And, you know, when I saw all of those things, I just thought, man, 
I could add a lot of value here by just making this place a little bit more professional. So the next morning, no, actually that evening, when I got back home, I quickly wrote up a contract and sent it over to the broker. And um, the next morning, they counted my offer and I accepted the counter immediately. How much under list price did you, was your initial offer? I think they were listed at 695, if I remember correctly. I offered 625. Mm-hmm. They came back with 650 and I said yes. So by 10.30 in the morning, we'd agreed on a price and said yes. And 12.30 that same day, the people that saw the property before me called the broker and said, okay, they'd like to make an offer. And he said, sorry, we've already got a deal. Wow. So So moving fast was crucial in that case. Yes, exactly. So, you know, I even took my time. If I'd seen it 10 o'clock in the morning, I should have sent in my offer at 11. (laughs) You know, instead I waited to see it. Or like, yeah, like you said, you now you don't even look at the property before submitting an offer. Is that because there's not really any risk in making an offer? You just, the risk is... The, not even the earnest money, but the non-refundable piece of the earnest money, which is usually... Very little. Yeah, very little. Yeah. 1% of the earnest money. Is that right? No, no, no. Yeah, 1% of the earnest money. So the earnest money is 1% of the purchase price mm-hmm. and the option fee is 1% of the earnest money. Mm-hmm. So it's very low, low. So let's just say you got a you know million dollar property, 10,000 would be 1% of the purchase price. Mm-hmm. And 1% of that, what is that? A hundred, $100. $100. So it's really not a lot. So I'm willing to risk $100 if it's going to be a good deal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So your offer got accepted. And after that, how long did you have for closing to do a I, sort of due diligence I, on the property? Yeah, I had, I think I had like 30 days due diligence. And then I asked maybe a 45 day or even I might even have asked for a 60 day close because these people still had to also find a house. They didn't think they would sell it so quick. Mm. So they still had to find a house and themselves had to move. But now that <laughs> that deal you know, it was my purchase price was six hundred and fifty thousand dollars, which meant that I had to come up with twenty percent of the purchase price in a, as a deposit, a cash deposit, which is about one hundred and twenty-five, hundred and thirty thousand dollars cash. I didn't have that amount of money, so this was really kind of a risky proposition for me. So, but what I thought, I thought, well, I I had seventy thousand dollars in a Roth IRA. Mm-hmm. And my wife also had a $70,000 Roth IRA. So I thought, okay, look, I'll cash out my Roth and then I'll have 70. And then I'll ask her if I could cash out her Roth and we'll, I'll have enough money. Sounds just a little bit risky to me. <laughs> so, so yeah, well, the thing is, you know, I thought this is going to be- You were so sure. I was so sure of the deal, but she was not. She said, absolutely not. You're not touching my, my Roth money. So I was like, oh my goodness, I was really counting on that 70,000. So I had, but I had 70. And I think in other cash, I had like maybe 10. So I had maybe 80,000. So, but luckily I had some pending deals, you know, in my commercial real estate Mm -hmm. business. So I went to the bank and I said, look, if these deals close, then I will be able to scrape together the money. I don't know how the heck they actually accepted that, but they did because, you know, so many deals just don't go through. Mm -hmm. So how could you even count that money? Plus, I was going to get a little bit of commission from the deal itself because I was representing myself. So there's Mm -hmm. a little bit of, and I just scraped together that. And I I think I even borrowed some money from a credit card, but I managed to scrape together the Mm $125,000 and we closed. And then I still had to do some more spending on the property to kind of Improve it, it up a little bit, yeah. Improve it. So that that I just did on a line of credit that I had in my company. I basically borrowed from that and then made the improvements. And then once I'd made the improvements, I could increase the rent because they were so far behind with their rents for their storage that I could actually increase them by close to 50%. And, um, you know, when my assistant saw that I was going to push it up that much, she thought that maybe we'd lose a lot of tenants. But the problem is we didn't actually lose a single tenant because they couldn't go anywhere because we were still the cheapest. They so were so, the rents they, were really, really below market. Way below market. So even though we pushed them up so much, they couldn't leave unless they were just going to spite themselves and pay more money elsewhere. But we were still cheaper than everybody else. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so it was actually really good. So the purchase price, the 650 
$100,000, was that based on the cash flow that it had at the time before you purchased it? Yes, I had calculated that uh, my cap rate was going to be about nine and a half, ten, ten around there. So as soon so, as you bumped up those rents, you significantly increased the value of the property. Yes, it did. Now, obviously, I'd put some more money in. Mm -hmm. So then I'd count my cap rate now against the new price because the invest the additional investment obviously changed the purchase price. So let's just say I put in a hundred. So I think my total cost was a seven fifty. But along with that, you know, obviously the rents increased. So the cap rate eventually, you know, was, you know, way over ten percent mm -hmm. um, on the improved investment and obviously the improved rents. So and today the property is worth, you know, about one point two million. So it's really what what happened was the because they didn't have demarcated parking. As soon as I demarcated the parking spaces, mm -hmm. the the outdoor parking spaces, we were able to put far more. Mm -hmm. The parking of, became a lot more efficient. Yes, the parking became much more efficient. We were able to boost the the actual number of tenants. When I started, we had forty seven tenants. Today we have one hundred and three. Wow! So we pushed. So we've pretty much maxed out the property now. Um, as far as the spaces that we could put on it, um, you know, that's including all the outdoor spaces. That's really where we expanded. We just expanded outdoor spaces. You know, people think, well, you're only getting 50 bucks per space or $45 per space, but you know, it adds up, you know. So it, the month number one, the rent was $4,700 a month, I think, something like that. That's excluding the house because we rented the house as well for another 2000 So that was, you know, but today, the total property is producing like eleven thousand two hundred dollars a month, you know, and it and it keeps going up because every year or every second year we slowly boost the rents uh, mm -hmm. a few percent, you know. So, so it's it's been a wonderful business. It's really, uh, yeah, and that's why I'm so excited because we're developing exactly because the, one. based on the success of this property, yes. my question was going to be, well, why haven't you done more of these? But you actually have, you mm -hmm. and we're doing one together in, in Tomball. Right, we were doing that one, and the other week, about a month ago, right in the middle of the coronavirus crisis, I also happened to walk over to my neighbor at my existing property, and I asked her if I could buy half her land for an expansion for myself, and she said, well, you know what, you can buy all of my land, which is another three and a half acres, and then my engineer said to me, you know what, where your detention pond is going to be, you're going to have to drain to the roadside ditch, but the roadside ditch is above the detention pond, which means you'll need a pump. Mm -hmm. He said, why don't you speak to one of the neighbors downhill from you and see if they'll let you get, sell you an easement mm -hmm. so you can drain to their roadside ditch, which is downhill. And when I did that, my neighbor said, sure, you can buy an easement from me. And then while we were, the next day, we were walking the property and pegging out where the easement would go. And he said, you know what? Why don't you just buy the back half of my property, which is he had about three acres. So he's now selling me about 1.3 acres, I think, from the back of his property. So now our pond is going to go on there and the, the property right next to us we can use completely for uh, the expansion. So that's been very exciting. You know? So right now you have 103 spaces. How many are you going to have after you incorporate these pieces of land? Oh, I'll have, well... I can't remember exactly how many spaces it is, but I can remember the square footage of the buildings. The existing property has 20,000 square foot of building, not counting the outdoor parking. And we're adding another 76,000 square foot of building on the property next door. So it's like we're going to quadruple the size of the buildings on the property. And uh, obviously the whole you know revenue number is going to, increased dramatically mm -hmm, you know? for sure yeah something that really helps you in in these deals and also in your yeah. business as a broker is how well you dominate certain software and certain technology tools right yes. that you have developed through the years you've become very adept with using technology so how do you for example in your Bowden rv storage how have you incorporated use of technology to make it easier for you and for your tenants as well Okay, well, the one, you know, in the beginning when we first got the business, the the owner before us, they didn't have any system. There was no management system. So people used to just, they didn't even have a proper client list 
And when we asked for a client list, they gave us a, you know, such a scrappy little piece of paper. And they and some of the phone numbers of the people could didn't even work. Some people they didn't even have any con. They just had the guy's name, and people used to throw, uh, drop money through the door in cash in an envelope, or they would give them a check, and they would pay whenever they felt like paying because there was no reason to pay on time because you could come and go as you liked. The gate was always open. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it was a very unorganized system. So we signed up with a software called SiteLink. Mm-hmm. And uh, I really enjoy SiteLink. It gives you great rent roll. You can keep track of every single client. But we have over the years uh, honed our system a lot. I have a very good assistant, Lindsay, uh, that works with me in the commercial brokerage, but she's also helping me with the boat and RV storage facility. So in the beginning, we were like having a real problem collecting the rents, even though we had a gate that the gate is connected up to the software. And if they don't pay, the gate locks them out after the fifth of the month, if they haven't paid by the Mm -hmm. fifth. But some people weren't necessarily going to use their boat or their RV that month. So they didn't care. They would just pay whenever they liked. And they would pay, we stopped the cash. So they would, you know, we have to call them and say, hey, you haven't paid. It was a real hassle. Mm-hmm. So I think it was the second year of the business, or maybe, yeah, it could have been the, the second year. I can't remember exactly. But we said to them, listen, from now on, or from the 1st of January, we, we always try and do one big thing a year if mm-hmm. we're going to make any big changes, not to rock the boat. We said to them, from the 1st of January, everybody's going to be paying by credit card, and we're going to run your credit card for you on the 1st of the month so that we don't have this problem of, you know, having problems collecting rent and um you know some people didn't like that there was probably about maybe three or four people that said if we're gonna make them use their credit card they're gonna leave because Mm -hmm. they don't want to disclose their credit card because you know worried you know that you're gonna they they don't want you to have their digits yeah their credit card numbers because we were gonna steal money from them or something i don't know what they were thinking so i just said to them well i'm sorry to see you go but this is the new rule of the business is it's credit card only so when it came down to it they again didn't leave mm-hmm. they just stayed and gave us their credit cards because they didn't want to leave they liked mm-hmm. you know the property so that's the strength of your positioning versus the competition i think part of it was the pricing obviously and now we were more secure you know there were cameras there's a locked gate there's a keypad so you know why would they want to leave necessarily and so that first year that we did it, we were paying the merchant fee because, you know, every, whenever you use a credit card to pay stuff, there's a merchant fee involved. Mm-hmm. So we ate that merchant fee that, that first year. And that the next year, we told everybody, okay, from the 1st of January, you guys are going to pay the merchant fee, 3%. So we flipped that to the tenant as well. And now, if you're a brand new tenant, you get notified right off the bat that that's just the way it is. Mm-hmm. You know? and, and people don't mind, you know. So then let's, let's talk about our dealing in Tomball. So about a year ago, I think it was, or maybe a little bit earlier, you came to me and you said, you showed me a piece of property that really looked well-located in a high growth area of Houston, which is Tomball, a nice little town property that you had bought for a very good price and that you plan to do an office warehouse project with component of Bolton RV storage, two uses that that we saw complemented each other fairly well. And we've been working on that deal, but the the process of how we put together the different pieces of property is is very interesting. Yes. Actually, yeah, I've got to tell you, the story continues. Well, initially I bought the property from the Abandoned Animal Rescue, which is a uh, a pet dog sanctuary, or it's like they they get stray dogs off the street and really nice people. So... They were selling it so they could move to a new location. And I don't know, I I guess because not any single person owned the property, their attachment to the value of the property was not that strong. You know, they were just an organization and um, they just wanted to move to the new place. So anyway, there was nobody, maybe another factor is that there was no single person collecting a check, right? It was a, a business that they managed collecting the check. And they were all volunteers and all their money is all money donated. So, you know, they just bought that property with donated money. I think that was why I managed to get it quite cheap. Well, yeah, that's uh, interesting. The, the other issue, obviously, that building was not in good shape. 
because there'd been dogs in it all this time. So we had to pretty much redo the building from scratch. But anyway, it came with five, almost six acres of land behind it, which that was the value for me is the extra land. So what happened was we had this almost six acre property and, you know, I remodeled the building and leased it out to a company. And now we had to try and figure out the project for the boat and RV storage and the small office warehouse component. And um, when I went to the city of Tombal, they said, well, you need to drain your detention pond somewhere. You know, that's always the issue is like, where do you drain it? So there happened to be Harris County drainage ditch just north of the property, but there was another piece of land in between me and the drainage ditch. Mm -hmm. And on the east of the property, there was a, a right-of-way called Neal Road that had never been developed that the city owned. So I said, well, look, number one, I would like to drain to the drainage ditch. And they said, okay, well, why don't you go and speak to that owner? And I said, well, I tell you what, why don't I just drain, put the pipe underneath your road? Because mm -hmm. you can just build the road over my pipe. And they said, no, we only allow public pipes in our roads. So I said, well, that's easy. I'll donate my pipe to the city mm -hmm. as soon as we put it in. And they said, no, 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 you can't do that. So I was being cheeky. <laughs> but um, so I thought, okay, let me go and talk to this owner of this land behind. And um, it happened to be a really unusual ownership structure. Mm -hmm. It was two owners, each with a 50% undivided interest, which means neither one of them knew where their land was. They basically shared everything 50-50, and they were completely independent of each other. One was an oil and gas company, and the other one was just an old lady that I think she was a school teacher, but she's kind of retired now. And her father had helped her get this property, and they had owned it for many, many, many years, but they were kind of tired of owning it. So when I finally got hold of this gentleman, uh, Fred Moore, he said, you know what, we're so tired of having this property that I don't care, you can put your pipe right through my property. He said, in fact, I'll even give you my share of the property for free if you can get the paperwork sorted out. So I thought, wow, that's take to, They wanted to take it off of their hands and stop paying yeah. taxes. Yes. It's a property that really the only other person that could have had a use for it would be the owner of the adjacent property because they didn't even have access. It was completely landlocked, mm -hmm. yeah, because the Neil, Neil Road right-of-way was there in case somebody eventually developed the two acres. Because they'd never developed it, they never built the road. Anyway, so I started, I said, okay, look, Mr. Fred, I'll be happy to take the land off you for, for free. So then I called the oil and gas company and I said, look, he's giving me his share for free. Why don't you do the same? And they said, no, 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 we're not going to do that. So anyway, we eventually came up with a price of, I think it was $17,000. Yeah. And so I paid them $17,000 and Mr. Moore, I got his piece for free. And so we both basically got that deal for mm -hmm. two acres of land for $17,000, which is an incredible expansion for our property mm -hmm. because now we could put the detention pond on that two acres and we could drain directly into the Harris County drainage ditch without crossing anybody's land. So it was an absolute perfect solution for our project. Um, and at the same time, we were working with a neighbor and the front that owned yes. a little abandoned house, right? Yes. She had been a bugbear in my like side from the beginning not the lady herself but what had happened was an old lady had owned this little home that was next to the property that, that we'd purchased and um, she was older now and she's living in a, a kind of an old age home so what happened was her son started squatting in the house and he wasn't paying anything he wasn't paying her any rent and he wasn't paying any upkeep and eventually what happened is the house became unlivable the city actually put tape around it and said you know this is not safe to live in so what he did is he built a little shack on an encroachment on the property that we bought mm -hmm. and it was always a problem for me because i really wanted that encroachment gone because it, it was really quite a big encroachment but you know i could never really sort out anything with the original owner's daughter, because she just didn't really want to talk to me. So one day, I noticed that the guy 
that was squatting there wasn't there. He, I think, he, I think the police had taken him to jail. Uh, anyway, I didn't know where he was. So what we did is we tore down the encroachment fence that he'd put up mm-hmm. and put up a new fence and tore down the little shack and basically got rid of it. So because it wasn't your property, it was actually my property. Yeah. So so now I had full control of at least my property. I still didn't like the filth in the property next to me. And what happened is when I put the fence where it should have been all all along, the value of that lady's property completely changed because she had lost the encroachment, which made it kind of a little bit more useful. And now it just was almost useless as a home or anything really, because it was just too small. Mm -hmm. So she came to me and said, listen, you can buy it from me. And uh, originally when she very, very first talked to me about selling it, the prices you know, like about $100,000 she was hoping to get for it. But when she saw how terrible the house was and, you know, the needles lying every, the syringes and everything, she just lost any idea of any value that she could have had. So anyway, I said, look, I'll tell you what, I'm just buy- basically buying land from you. I'll pay you the same land price that I paid per square foot for the other land that I bought for your property. And I showed her my contract and she accepted. And it, which meant that I was actually, I think I paid Mm $15,000 for that little piece. But that little piece was crucial to our project because it gave us access to the road. It was almost all frontage. It was all frontage. So it gave us a wonderful access for our small office warehouse project. And um, in fact, I mean, the value it added to our property Mm -hmm. is you wait five times more than what we paid for it, Mm -hmm. you know, at the very least, you know, so... Yeah, so it's been kind of interesting. And here's what I was going to tell you. What happened last week, I get a call from Fred Moore. Really? And he said, you know, I always have these people calling me and um, about this other five acres that he's got around the corner, which is not landlocked. It does have frontage on the road. And it's the same two owners, him and the oil and gas company with a 50% undivided interest. And he said, Lance, People have been asking me to buy that from me, but I want to give it to you as well because you know how to get this done with the oil and gas company. So, because it, the process of getting that, even though Fred Moore, and I'm talking about the original two acres, he yeah. wanted to to grant that to you for free. It was yes. still a very complicated process, and we had to work yeah. with several title companies to figure out how best to get to that property it. yeah to purchase it be- yeah. because it had a very complicated chain of title and right. a lot of issues and i think he's he realizes that these people that send him letters if they well number one it was super complicated for me to even find the company that was the oil mm-hmm. and gas company because their address in houston there's no one there mm-hmm. so yeah, you had to make a lot of phone calls you had to visit a few offices it was super complicated to track them down i mean i don't know how anybody would do it obviously i managed to to do it but i i think i got lucky i really just got lucky in it, that i found and them you had a a big interest in finding them Rivers is yeah. making those offers to fred moore as soon as they realize the, the situation of the property the, they're they're gonna back out they would probably back out so anyway so i've i've reached out to the oil and gas company to see if we can do the same thing again, mm-hmm. but I haven't heard back from them yet. But yeah, kind of strange that he's you know happy to he's that he's just tired of it. He's an elderly mm-hmm. man, and she, the daughter who actually is the owner, doesn't care. You know, for her it's just too much hassle. Mm-hmm. So I can kind of and and honestly, I don't know if this deal will be worth doing because mm-hmm. the oil and gas company might have an inflated idea of the value because this one probably actually does have frontage on a road. So they might come up with a number that's just not worth it for me to pursue, but I'll find out, you know. That's very, very interesting. Yeah. One of the things, Lance, and going on on the same topic that I always have been fascinated by is your ability to find these types of deals. (laughs) Every month or so you show me a new deal and how great of of an investment it was. Usually they're on the smaller scale side of things or usually in the uh, mid hundred thousand range, but they're usually deals that are low risk that don't require a lot of work and a lot of renovations and things like that. That are usually great buys that you have been able to find through several things that you do constantly in order to come across these deals. H- how do you find them? Well, 
you know, this is what I figured out over quite a while is you can look for unrestricted commercial land, which is my favorite thing to buy. You can look on the commercial websites, but those pieces of land are going to typically be priced pretty high because commercial brokers know the value of commercial land very mm-hmm. well. But what I've noticed is... So every, these listing services would be, for example, LoopNet. LoopNet, Crexy, Comgate here in the Houston area. Yeah, so those sites. So, But what I noticed is like, for instance, my Boatnor restorage facility that I bought, I bought it through a residential agent and the price was, you know, I would have paid more for it, you know, mm-hmm. than what they were listing it at. So I think, and then the next so deal... So that opened your eyes yes, a little bit. And then the next deal that I purchased actually after that was about six months after I purchased the Boatnor restorage facility, my wife had suddenly noticed how well we were doing. Mm-hmm. And she said, you know what, maybe I'll let you use my $70,000 Roth IRA as well if you can find me a property as well. That's if smart. You- After she had seen you that you could have actually, that you were actually yeah. doing it successfully, not yeah. before. Yeah. So she saw that I was doing well. So that night I thought it was really amazing how that happened. It was a Thursday night, I still remember, and I thought, okay, let me see if I can find something. So I looked on HAR, which is the residential property website here in the Houston area, and I looked around, I looked around, and I saw this little property that was about 4.8 acres of land, and it had a building on the one corner, and the price was very reasonable. In fact, because the, the building was in bad shape, they said they're pricing it for land value only, and it was a residential realtor. Even though the building had a tenant in paying rent each mm-hmm. month, they were still pricing it for land value only. So I thought, oh my goodness, this deal is incredible. They'd listed it for three, I think three ninety-five. And anyway, I ended up buying it for three fifteen, three hundred and fifteen thousand. So that that's the deal that you found when you went online to look over opportunities after your wife told you that, hey, you can use my, my money. My money, yeah. So yeah, so three hundred and fifteen thousand. So if you Take 20% of that, you're about $64,000, and with appraisal and with closing costs, it came to the total that we needed was about $68,000, and she had $70,000 in her Roth IRA. So we literally put that money from her Roth into this deal, but the, the amazing thing was the bank did an appraisal on the property, and they appraised it at $525,000. So she'd made almost 200,000, well, yeah, it was just over $200,000 on day one mm-hmm. with her Roth, when previously over 15 years of saving into the Roth, the only time the Roth ever went up was when we put more money in. <laughs> <laughs> so in here in one day, she almost tripled her investment. Mm-hmm. So when that happened, I had now done two deals where both the- uh, For this property, how long had it, had it been listed for? A week. Okay. So yeah. it was still a new listing. It was still a new listing. Because those deals usually don't last long no. on a listing service. No, they don't. And in fact, I'm amazed that it lasted a week. Mm-hmm. But obviously, other people weren't looking at it the way I was looking at it. Mm-hmm. Okay. But what I realized is residential realtors often don't know the true value of unrestricted land, commercial land. They just completely undervalue it. I mean, they can value a house very well because they've got comps. Mm-hmm. But when there's just extra land around a building, they don't really know what to do with it. And they don't know how to basically value it. You know, Mm -hmm. that's the problem. So I thought, my goodness, I think I've discovered something here Mm -hmm. is if I just keep looking on residential sites, eventually I'm going to come across a realtor that doesn't know and a seller that also doesn't know. And if you put those two together, they're going to come up with a selling price, which is way under the true value of of, where the market should be. So I started becoming more disciplined about checking the market every day. Mm-hmm. So I set up a, I went to a residential realtors website. You know, they have these little filters that you set up. So I set up the little filters to email me every day with the parameters of what I wanted. I, I think I, my parameter was like, I want more than two acres or, or more than three acres. And, you know, I don't think I could pick unrestricted. I think it, I could just pick up price points, you know, between this price range. Because in the beginning, I, I couldn't buy anything too expensive. So I think the top range of my parameter was like $550,000. So I thought, mm-hmm. man, I can't handle anything bigger than that. I've already bought my big property, but I, I'm like out of cash. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so that little email 
every morning comes into my inbox and every morning I have a look to see what's new from the residential agents. And every four or five months, there's a great deal. And I'm talking about a, a great deal. And you look at it every single day? Every day. Yeah, I look at it every single day. But you have to. Mm-hmm. What I've figured out now is that if you skip mm-hmm. a day, there's probably five other people like me that are doing it every day. Mm-hmm. And if they're going to get that deal first, well, then I've lost it, right? Mm-hmm. So the thing is, I've figured out that, look, a market value deal, which is, you know, at market value, you don't have to rush because it's just market value and, you know, you can buy market value deals all day long. Mm-hmm. But if you want a great deal, which is really under market value, you have to be speedy. You have to move really fast because, you know, other people want that same equity jump the day they buy it, you know. So, you know, that's actually what happened to me just recently. Last, you know, we are now in 2020, last year, uh, December, I think it was, December 2019. I got my little email in the morning and I saw this five-acre property, which is the one on Whispering Pines. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I was amazed. When I did the, they were selling this property for 599000 And when I valued the house compared to the other houses in the area, I thought, well, that's true. The house is worth five ninety nine, but it's got this extra five acres of land mm-hmm. with it, which is unrestricted commercial land close to a really good road. I thought, what's going on here? They're not actually adding any value for the land. And I've heard this story before. Somebody said to me that some residential agents actually don't like a lot of land around the house. They think it's a liability because you've got, you've got to spend more money to mow it. Mm-hmm. So they think because of that extra cost, it actually takes away from the value of the house because you have to spend all this money to mow it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, anyway, so I thought, Boy, they've made a mistake here. So I sent in an offer, I think five sixty-five. I didn't even go so and look. Almost at, asking. Yeah, five sixty-five, so and they were asking five ninety-nine. Yeah. So basically, the property came through day one of of listing. I saw it within an half an hour of me seeing it. I sent in an offer of five sixty-five, and then two hours later, like around ten o'clock, I called the agent just to make sure that she'd received my offer mm-hmm. contract, and she said I've received it, but you're not going to be able to look at that house today because two other people have already scheduled showings mm-hmm. and you know they're blocking out the whole afternoon because she was still thinking like if I'm going to want to buy a house that I actually want to look at it first mm-hmm. she thought look he's not going to and the other two people that were looking at it I'm assuming they were thinking about living there not thinking I, about flipping I, it I think so so but when I heard her say two other people are looking at it this afternoon I thought okay look you know, we're day one. I've sent in an offer and there's two people looking. That's three people on the first day. I can't mess around. So I I quick sat down again, rewrote my offer for full price, five ninety nine, and I sent it over to her. And um I think that was a Wednesday. By Thursday night, they sent me back a fully executed contract to say that and I said, Listen, I'll whatever you want, your title company, I'll do a seven day feasibility. I did whatever they wanted. I would do it. You were so certain about the deal that you had in your hands. Yes, absolutely. So um, we closed on the 31st of December. And the very next day, (laughs) I put it on back on the market and I split it into two deals. The very next day. Okay, split into deals. Yeah, on the 1st of January or the 2nd of January. I split it into two deals. I I sectioned off the house in 1.7 acres for the house. And it was about 3.3 acres of just unrestricted vacant land. Mm-hmm. And the total asking price for both pieces together was just over a million dollars. And realtors were coming to me saying, this is ridiculous. You just bought it for five ninety nine. What What makes you think you can get over a million for it? And I said, well, listen, it's worth that. It's worth that. I know it is. You know, just because she made a mistake doesn't mean I have to, you know, sell it for very little. Mm-hmm. Anyway, a long story short, we got a contract on the two pieces combined, you know, two different parties. They were actually uh, the kids and the parents. The parents bought the property next door and the land, and the kids bought the house in the 1.7 acres. And the combined price was 930000 Wow. And um, that's within three months, I think, we got the contracts. In fact, we've closed on the house already a few weeks ago. And uh, on Tuesday, we're closing on the land. 
and then I'd have I'd have the money. So we made on that deal uh, just over three hundred thousand dollars in the in the three month in the five months now because it took took a while to close. <laughs> That's amazing. So you you mentioned about once every four or five months a deal of this kind yes. pops up. Yeah, you just have to be really disciplined. And I, I you know I tell people just check it every day. And the thing is, people sometimes forget or they get lazy or they just, but, you know, it's not like you can go to Walmart and just pick a deal off the shelf. Mm -hmm. I mean, because, you know, they're not making deals for you. You never know what's going to happen. So you could be doing that for three months and you could be getting completely bored and you think this is never going to work. And then suddenly that one morning, you're like still waking up because I do this first thing of the day, like Mm -hmm. I have my coffee and I'm looking to see what usually how long does it take you because usually there are no no good deals even worth looking at. Yeah, it takes me five minutes. Mm-hmm. You know, so you know I quickly log in and I see what's new and you know I basically t- it doesn't take long. And if you look at the market every single day like that, you also get to know what's the market is and mm-hmm. where where it's at. That's another so, and very important piece because for most of us we could be looking at that. $599,000 deal that you came across and we wouldn't be able to recognize it as a deal yes. if we haven't spent every single day for the past certain amount of months looking right. at deals every day. Yes, I realize it, it takes experience and time, but I think if you put in the time, you'll get the experience. Mm-hmm. You know, for me, when I very first started off with the smaller deals, you know, and uh, I guess it, I, you know, I didn't know what I know now. So it did take me a little while, but I realized, number one, that there's an arbitrage opportunity because some people don't know enough. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the funny thing was the realtor that sold this Whispering Pines property to me for $5.99, she was a 20 to 25-year veteran, very well respected in the area, and had done, you know, very high, highly rated realtor, but in residential. Mm-hmm. And if her client, who actually moved to Colorado, if her client knew that I'd made another $300,000 or plus Mm -hmm. on their property, I don't know how happy they would have been with her. But, you know, he's probably not looking back. You know, Mm -hmm. he's moving forward with his life. But the thing is, you know, because some people don't know the true value of, of unrestricted commercial land. And by the way, why would I want to buy unrestricted commercial land? Because it's the type of property that has the best ability to absolutely shoot up in value with no change being made to it. It's simply in the eye of the beholder. Mm-hmm. Because, okay, so why would that be like that? Because mm-hmm. if you have a strip center on a property, how do you value that strip center? Well, the first thing you do is you go and you know count the tenants see what the rent they're paying, deduct all the triple net expenses and all that kind of stuff, and you get a net operating income and you divide the net operating income by the purchase price and you get, okay, well, it's worth, you know, I'll, I'll use an 8% cap rate. value it based on its, on its cash flow. On its cash flow, right. Now, unrestricted commercial land doesn't have any cash flow. Mm-hmm. So how do you value it? Well, the thing is, the buyer values it based on what he wants to do with the property. So that's why the the value can suddenly leap, you know, because if you have like, let's just say you have a little property on a corner somewhere and uh, the one guy says, well, you know what? I'd like to buy that from you. I'll give you a hundred thousand because I think I can sell some cars off that, you know, or maybe some mobile homes or I don't know, anything that you can just park on the property. Mm-hmm. Another guy will come around and he'll say, you know what? I'll give you 200 for that. And he's literally like a few days later, same property, but a different buyer. And he thinks, you know what, I'm going to put a little strip center on there. But because of the income from the strip center, I can pay you 200. Mm -hmm. So you say, okay, well, you know, I'll get back to you. The next guy comes along a few days later and he says, you know what, I can put a, you know, I don't know, a little hotel or and plus a gas station or something. I'll give you 300. Well, you know, you're still thinking about it. But in the meantime, this is all within a week, Mm -hmm. three different buyers came with three different projects, each with my, very different financial cap, you know, structures, and they valued the property differently based on what they could do with it. But the underlying land didn't change at all. Mm-hmm. You know, so 
I've seen properties just basically double in value because you basically reframe to the market what you can do with the property, with that land. And so that's why I love these deals because Mm -hmm. I don't have to remodel anything. I don't have to increase rents. And because there are no rents, I have to do nothing. I just literally have to reposition in people's minds what you can do with this property. Mm -hmm. And by doing that- Market it differently. Yes, exactly. Just market it. So in fact, the biggest value jump that you can get is you can get a combined value jump of obviously, let's just say you're working with somebody that doesn't know the true value, but you can also reposition property. So what I'd really love to buy is I love to buy unrestricted land. And here in the Houston area, that means you could use it for commercial purposes. But typically in the past, it's been used for residential purposes. So all I have to do is I have to reposition the property for commercial purposes. And suddenly mm-hmm. the value jumps. It literally can almost, it can double. Mm-hmm. But the beautiful thing is, there's no work required. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he, he just, he just, you like, just change the perception around the property. Right. As you, exactly. as you mentioned, that's, yeah. that's amazing. Yeah. And I really appreciate the clarity with which you see all of this. You have a very deep understanding of what's happening behind the and the reasoning that i mean why the why this arbitrage that you're telling us about happens yes very very interesting it is and it's it's exciting i mean the one property we bought uh this is another deal that i saw listed this one actually was on loopnet i but i don't know how this guy he was a a sh- no wholesale seller wholesaler yeah. he was a wholesaler he did not have a clue about commercial and um but he put this little five acre piece of land up on loopnet for a hundred thousand dollars and it was up there in montgomery on fm 149 and so i i think you know i think he had a list for 110 mm-hmm. and i offered him 100 did you also come across this listing the day that it was listed i happened to check loopnet that day and it was listed that day and i called him i said would you take 100 and he said yes because he didn't really care he was a wholesaler he just wanted to make his ten thousand dollars on his contract. So we got the contract and um, the crazy thing was- So that means that the wholesaler put it under contract. Yes. So that means that the that the seller sold it for less than 100,000. For less than, I think he sold it for a 90. Okay. And so his contract was for 90. So I bought the contract and you know I had to pay 10 to the wholesaler. Mm-hmm. And so I got the property, essentially my total cost was 100. Mm-hmm. And you know, the funny thing was at that time, I just was short of money. So I needed $20,000 cash as my 20% deposit. I didn't have 20,000. So I I went to a friend of mine and I said, listen, why don't we buy this together? I'm going to sell the property to you and me for 125. We'll close on the same day because then I I would make an immediate $25,000 profit and I could put that towards my essentially down payment you know so you i'm sure you had to prove to him that the property was actually that yeah. you could sell for more a lot more than 125 yes. I, I said to him look we could sell this for 250 all day long mm-hmm. so he said let's do it so we sold it six months later for 275 wow so we essentially started out with 100 and then him and me bought it together for 125 but that was that i could get a little bit of mm-hmm. extra so extra and then after that we split everything evens but um, yeah, I mean, that was just, he didn't even go and see the property. He d- didn't even drive up to have a look at it. He just was in his office the whole time. All he, he put some money in and the next minute he got this huge check back six months later. <laughs> he was so happy. He trusted you. <laughs> yeah, no, he's, he's a good friend. And, uh, you know, but that was, uh, that was another case of, and the guys that bought it needed it for, it was used as residential and the guys that bought it wanted to use it for commercial. So it was a typical case of reframing the property, you know, and um, that was amazing. Very interesting, Lance. I appreciate all all that information and insight on how you're able to come across the deals that you are. It isn't much more complicated than what you mentioned. It's really a matter of putting in the time every day as as you do, and eventually you're going to come across opportunity. Yes, and and the, the way... You know, I I kind of like the way these deals work because I don't have to get, you know, a bunch of partners. I don't have to have these meetings with, I don't have to send reports to people 
about how the investment is doing. You know, my only partner typically is the bank, mm-hmm. you know, and they're very silent. I mean, once we've got the loan, we're done, you know. So the nice thing is, is I can move fast, you know, mm-hmm. because I don't have to check things with other people. Now, obviously, if I do a deal together with, like, for instance, with you and myself, you know, mm-hmm. then obviously we do, we share a lot of information and we don't make a move until we both agree mm-hmm. on it. But, you know, that makes it slower when you have the situation like that. So, you know, I don't get investors on most of my deals. I just do it by myself, which allows me to move super fast because I'm not, I don't have to check with anybody. And that to me is so beneficial, you know, and I don't have to worry about somebody not liking the way I do stuff mm-hmm. or so it's it's a real it gives me a lot of freedom mm-hmm. to operate like this and I think it it allows me to get the deals that I otherwise wouldn't have because if I had to like for instance on the Whispering Pines deal I mean I quickly went to full price mm-hmm. if I had a partner to check with we would have had to first discuss it mm-hmm. and then meet about it and by the time we figured out what to do the deal would have been gone because by the time she gave me the contract on the Thursday night she said Another seven people have reserved to view the house Friday and Saturday. So basically there were me and the two on the first, so that's three, and the other seven. We were 10 people trying to get that deal. The problem for the other nine people that tried to get the deal, they thought they first had to see the house before they would make an offer because they were not sure what they were getting. Mm -hmm. I didn't care (laughs) Mm -hmm. because I saw the photos on the website, that was enough for me. And at the know. end of the day, you still had a short feasibility period to yeah, yeah, walk yeah. it in. And <laughs> exactly. if there was any problems with it, you still yeah. could have gotten out of the contract. Right, for a hundred bucks or whatever, I could still mm-hmm. have got out of it, yeah. Yeah. Well, Lance, are you ready for our fire round? Yes, I am, I yeah. am. Excellent. So first question, what's your favorite book? I brought it with me. It's The Millionaire Next Door. Let me see it. And, you know- I've read this one. You have? Well, yeah. it's- it's an interesting book because I think the reason I like it is it, it tells you that it's just really ordinary people can do great things, you know. Mm-hmm. You know, like the guy living next door to you, you just don't know. I mean, he could be worth $10 million. <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, and, and he drives a crappy little car and he, you know, you just never realized what he's doing. So, And it's oftentimes those decisions of driving a crappy car that lead to him being a millionaire instead of living a lavish lifestyle right well the lavish lifestyle for sure is a big fastest way to eat all your money up yeah mm-hmm. so um i think that's why i like it because in a way you know we try to keep things uh you know not completely flamboyant you know so mm-hmm. so yeah that's the millionaire next door by thomas stanley and william danko good one what's your favorite movie Lance? okay so i brought these two i think i mentioned this to you last time it's kelly's heroes Mm-hmm. is just a, a great war movie that's a real comedy. And and then I wanted to show you this other one. It's called brought DVDs. Dirty Rotten Scoundrels, which is one of the funniest movies I think I've ever seen. Steve Martin and the other guy, oh my goodness, they are just so funny in that movie. So those two are perennial fr- favorites. I mean, I probably watch Dirty Rotten Scoundrels at least once a year. Really? You know? <laughs> It's kind of like Elf. I don't know if you have you seen Elf. Yeah, with Will Ferrell. With Will Ferrell, yeah, mm-hmm. that, yeah, I like that one too. That one, we yeah, have. they're good movies to to watch every now and then. Easy to watch and just to yeah. very light. Yes, yeah, great. Thanks for the recommendations, Lance. Kelly's Heroes and Thirty Rotten Scoundrels. Two great actors here, Steve Martin and Clint Eastwood on Kelly's Heroes. Yes. What's Lance a person that you look up to in the world of real estate? In the world of real estate. It can be somebody who you've worked with or somebody who you just simply um, have learned a lot from afar. Well, yeah, that would be your father. Honestly, you know, we, I worked with him for a while. I was part of Tarragon Developers. I mm-hmm. worked with him, you know, very closely for a number of years. And yeah, I learned so much from him in just sort of the development aspect and not being scared of doing development and just analyzing those types of opportunities because in fact, that's what I'm doing now is, you know, and you might as well, I'm joining you in the development. Mm-hmm. And um, I've always been interested in that, but I've, I never really thought I would be doing it for real. So it just always sucks, you know, up on a pedestal, you know, for me to be doing a, pe- uh, you know, a development. Mm-hmm. And now I'm 100% into doing that. And I, you know, it's, it's just great to be able to analyze the numbers and look to the future of 
improving a property and adding that income. Yeah, so for sure, it's your father. Uh, I appreciate that response, and I'm sure he's going to really appreciate it as well. (laughs) What's, Lance, the single most important skill that has led to the success that you've had in brokerage as well as now in in the deals that you've done? I think it's just persistence, you know, Mm -hmm. that daily discipline. Like I said, you know, you have to look for deals every day. And even though it's not a complicated thing to do, it's very easy. But people just, if I tell them this is what you have to do, they just don't, they just don't do it. I don't know why. I think it's just, they just don't have the discipline. Mm -hmm. So if you just do the little things that you need to do every day, you know, the big things will come, uh, come your way. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great answer. Persistence and discipline. Yeah. A parting piece of advice that you have for our audience? Parting piece of advice. Well, if you want to know uh, how I do my deals, and I was telling you this earlier, I actually wrote this up during the coronavirus lockdown. I was completely trying to figure out what I could do. I felt like I was completely unproductive and I thought I have to do something. So I wrote two courses on Teachable. So it's called cashflowguru.teachable.com. And the one is how I buy and sell commercial real estate. And the other one is how to develop a boat and RV storage facility. So if anyone is interested in actually seeing what my steps are, although I've you know, described mm-hmm. quite a few of them here, but there's, you know, there's other little things sometimes too behind more, it. And then the more technical and the more daily management of the boat and RV storage. Right, yeah. So I've, I've really explained all of those and, and how to do them at a low cost, especially the boat and RV storage development. Mm-hmm. I've seen people develop the storage component and they put so much money into the buildings by buying pre-engineered metal buildings that I'm like, what are you doing? You're basically eating up complete value of the project when you could have done this at like half the cost or a third of the cost. So anyway, I go through that on how to cut those costs uh, dramatically, which really at the end of the day, it's part of your return, right? I mean, (laughs) if you, you know, you could have a massive, strong pre-engineered metal building that can withstand an atom bomb, but what's the point? I mean, come on. The buildings that I have at my existing property have been there for 25 plus years through Hurricane Ike, through Hurricane Katrina, through Tropical Storm Allison, through everything. And they're still standing. Then, But they're not built with, you know, red steel from a pre-engineered metal building that weighs a ton. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it, I don't know. So, yeah. And the tenant doesn't care. The tenants do not care. Mm-hmm. So two courses. Yeah. One is on boat and RV management and development. Yes. And the other? is on the way I buy and sell unrestricted commercial land and what okay. I look for. So it's just kind of, uh, and in the intro, there's like a little my story of to kind of show my results, which over the last four and a half years, I, for the course, I had to figure it out. I figured out that I'd made just over 1.8 million in the buying and selling of commercial land. Some of them I haven't sold, some of them I've kept. But um, so just to show people that, you know, you can actually make pretty good money with this strategy. And I've, uh, you know, I've had no real investors. I've had no, I didn't have to go find money to do this. I did, you know, it was and just- You also didn't start with a lot of cash, but you've managed I, to- Yes. Once you, you found the great deals. And once you had the, the great deal in your hands and you were so certain that it was a great deal, you managed without a lot of troubles to find the cash for it. Yes, I just basically rolled the money. So each deal, the money got rolled into the next deal. And mm-hmm. so if you make a bit of profit on the first deal, will you roll that into the second deal? So it's kind of like not exactly happened like that, but pretty much like that because each time it's just helped. And, you know, obviously the additional rental incomes from the boat and storage facility and some of the other properties, now that's counting as cash flow for you, for the bank, for qualifying mm-hmm. on the next loan. So they, they're almost like self-fulfilling, you know, helping the next deal. In fact, I just had to send them again my whole uh, personal financial statement and my incomes that I have and everything for the expansion because I have to get the loan for the expansion of this of the boat and RV storage mm-hmm. facility. And that's like a, a you know, the expansion is a $1.1 million property now and I have to put down $240,000 cash mm-hmm. for that expansion, which I got from the Whispering Pines deal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so luckily, I just got that deal because that's giving me the cash for the expansion so that but I still need a loan 
So the the bank's looking at all my stuff, but it, you know it's going to qualify because mm-hmm. there's more than enough income to qualify for this million. You know, I, I think the loan is going to be about nine hundred thousand, close to nine hundred thousand. But I'm, I'm not worried about it because the the expansions go. We have so many people calling every day for storage, and we don't even have space for them. Mm-hmm. So you know the expansion. So you know that the demand's there. Yeah, the demand is there. Yeah. I'm certainly going to check out those courses, Lance. So okay. use that cashflowguru.teachable.com. Yes. And yeah. I'll put the link on the show notes as well, well for thank people you. To, to check them out. Thank you. Lance, so if anybody wants to reach out to you, I'm sure they can do it through there. Any other way that they can reach out to you to learn more about you? Oh, and they you can do? give me a call, 832-483-8655, or text me and I'll call you back. But yeah, I'm always happy to chat to someone just to see what they want to do. And maybe I can give them a tip or two or, you know, some feedback. I don't know. Well, I really appreciate, Lens, the openness that you've had in today's interview, sharing all your secrets and how you find the deals (laughs) that you do. You really laid it out for anybody who is willing to put in the time and effort to make money in this business. So I really appreciate that. Yes, no, thank you very much, Jorge, and I've really enjoyed being on the podcast. I can't wait to listen to it back, back in the car when I'm driving. <laughs> it's, it's not easy to listen to yourself. It's not always easy. Yeah. No, but thank you very much, Lance. It's been a real pleasure. Okay, thank you, Jorge.